Hey everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Jessica Stevens. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Uh, So grateful for all of my subscribers who tune in on the regular. And if you are new here to the podcast, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful to have you here as well. So this week on the show, my wonderful friend Nikki sits down with me to talk about her. I just picked my mom in my parents' divorce now what story. And off the top, I'm just going to say how grateful I am for Nikki for opening up and sharing this story with me and all of you. It was definitely not an easy one to share um, because divorce, as many of you all know, is a really challenging and painful experience for everyone involved, the parents, the children, whether you're young and a, you know, and your parents uh, divorced when you were a child or you, they divorced when, when you were an adult or if you are the parent and you're going through separation and you're you know considering how these actions are impacting your children, whether they be older or younger, divorces and separation and breaking up of a family is never an easy thing to do or experience. And so I'm just really grateful for her sharing hers. And I'm really grateful for those who are going to listen to this episode and hopefully take away some things that they can apply to their own situation and their own stories. You know, I'm so grateful that my parents are still lovingly married, you know, 45 plus years later. And so I don't personally know what it feels like to be uh, a child of divorced parents my hubs, his parents divorced when he was a young kid. So I've experienced a little bit of what he's gone through from his perspective. I also have a lot of friends whom their parents divorced, whether it was younger or as adults. And I also have friends who are currently going through divorce right now from their partners and really taking in and considering what the impact is going to be having on their own children. So please take this episode in and tease out the parts that you want to, you know, apply to your own life or own own situation and just know that everyone's story is going to be different and there's no judgment, there's no right or wrong answer in how a family proceeds, how you as a child decide whether you, you know, pick a parent side or you are Switzerland and neutral and continue to have a relationship with both of your parents. It's going to be a different journey for everybody, but there's a lot that goes into divorce and relationships and boundaries and, and decisions for everyone involved, parents and children alike, other family members. You know, it's, it's not just a single partnership that's being split between, you know, a husband and wife, a husband and husband, you know, two partners, it's everyone else involved as well. And so I'm just really grateful for her for sharing the story. So a little bit about Nikki. So she is the founder of Core Wealth, a company designed to support individuals who are going through divorce and separation. They help people become the CEOs of their own divorce, regardless of age or stage. They have created teams of legal, real estate, and mental health professionals to help people move through their transition mindfully with education and strategy. She is also the host of the Coin for Thought podcast, and she has a really fun YouTube channel that promotes financial literacy. So without further ado, now let's get to the now what? Have you ever had a situation happen in your life that you weren't expecting, good or bad, and said to yourself or out loud, oh my gosh, I just fill in the blank, now what? Me too, friend, me too. I've had quite a few actually, and in the moment, I never knew what I was gonna do next. Of course, I had to figure it out, sometimes the hard way, but I did figure it out. So join me and some amazing guests this season as we all share our own, I just blank, now what stories, so we can all learn from their transformational lessons to help us all answer that lifelong and often paralyzing question, Now what? 
All right. Well, hello, hello, Miss Nikki. Hello. How are you? It's been a long time. You it know? has been a long time. And yeah. it looks like we kind of coordinated our outfits today and decided to, you know, wear the glasses. <laughs> Not something that I wear every day. Um, most days I actually forget to put my glasses on. So I need my glasses. I'm blind. You're so. blind. Okay. So mine I'm is literally blind. just for like screen time and like blue light and, and all that stuff. So half yeah. the time I never remember. Um, yeah. And I'm like, but yeah, Jess, you guys are like tired recently. You should start wearing your glasses more. So we're having a little glasses twinsy day here today. I know. Funny story though. Like I just recently started doing jujitsu and it's so out of character for me. Like if anybody knows me, they're like Nikki doing jujitsu. That's so crazy. Our coach or whatever, he'd be showing moves. And then during class, we have to practice those moves. And I can never see what he's showing me. And I have to like, sometimes like wear my glasses and like run back to the bench and like put them down. And then we practice the move with our glasses. <laughs> so stupid. Nikki, it might be time for you to think about contact lenses. You can't touch my eye. It's so gross. Like I just... I just cannot, there's something so achy about just touching my eye. Okay. I'm, I'm like Rachel and friends, you know, with the, when they were wrestling her dad, like that's me. Well, thanks for coming online today and, and joining me for our, our episode. I know we've been trying to book this for a little while. Um, life has been a little crazy on your end for a lot of reasons. And one of them is what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. So I'm really excited to have you on and share your story because today we're going to be talking about your, I just chose my mom in my parents' divorce, now what story. And mm. so, yeah, there's been a lot of heavy stuff going on in your world. So I'm excited to unpack this uh, with you so that you can kind of share some of your insight and knowledge and experience with other people who might be going through this. But before we do that, why don't we rewind the tape a little bit and um, have you share a little bit about who you are. And um, I obviously just shared your amazing bio with everybody, but I always love my guests just to kind of give a little bit of a snippet of who they are from in their own words. So tell everybody, who's Nikki? What's going on? So I work in finance. I run my own wealth management firm and I support to mainly women uh, going through separation and divorce. And this actually all like really stemmed from my mom. And the last time we met, you know, I was working for another firm and it was kind of like an old boys club. And it was a lot of like old men. Really, you know, I would say their priority more was transferring assets to be able to have a more transactional client experience versus something wholesome and holistic and in depth. So when I started my own firm, I realized the need, you know, for it. And it was really difficult when you have, when you're working for somebody else. I was a director there. So I had a team of advisors, but it's really hard when you have like a vision and you don't share the same vision with your president. The visions are just as powerful, but they're misaligned. At the same time, you have to sleep well at night and you have to create your legacy. When all of us, you know, reach our deathbed, we have to look back on our lives and be able to say, I did work that mattered. I woke up every day and did work that made me proud, made my community proud. And it's something that's going to build my legacy when I die right? It's something to leave behind because after you pass away, speaking from finance, like your money comes and goes, whatever money you leave will wither at some point, but you'll have your reputation, which will pass down generations, maybe even past money. That was my focus really. And I guess what was also going on at the time of you deciding to leave the firm was your parents were going through a divorce. Yeah. So my dad and I have always had a really turbulent relationship because my mom and him, I would say they were never meant to be married. We're from India. So it was kind of an arranged marriage. And my mom tried to break up with my dad before they got married. And it was unsuccessful because of peer pressure and whatnot. She proceeded with that marriage, but it was really hard because we're also Catholic. So, you know, when you walk down the aisle and you say for better, or for worse and sickness and in health and all of that, what do you do when 
the person that you are supposed to love, you care about, first of all, you don't, but then you have an attachment to them. And then on the contrary, you know, they're not exactly treating you well and they're being very abusive towards you. You have this very skewed idea of what love is because there's this shift of like, what should I do from an obligation standpoint? And then what should I do on a personal standpoint? And how should I value myself in a relationship where someone doesn't really value me? And how do I take that to the next level? Then, you know, they had a child together, uh, which was me. And, you know, growing up, it was really difficult watching my parents fight. I don't really remember very many happy days. It was always days where they were fighting all the time. And by fighting, it was just my dad screaming and screaming and screaming and, you know, having essentially a big boy tantrum. And my mom just had to kind of sit back and you wouldn't even hear a sound. So for hours and hours, if you were not in the same room for hours and hours, you would hear one person just going off. And it was almost like he was on the phone, but he wasn't on the phone. There was my mom there and she was just taking it all in and absorbing all of that energy. And, you know, because she really felt like she couldn't fight back and she couldn't say anything and her opinion wasn't valued and all of that. I think like for him, he grew up in an environment where he didn't even have a happy home. He didn't have a happy lifestyle. But I always say as we grow up, it, it is our choice of how we want to carry things forward. Where does it all end? Like, do we continue the cycle of bad parenting? Like, you know, I deal with money mindset. My parents were always like bankrupt and mismanaging my money. And it's like, okay, like, where does it end? Like, you're now in the situation. Are you going to teach your kids to be in the same situation? Where does it end, right? And for him, he always referred back to, well, this is how I was taught. And this is how I was raised and all of that. But it's really no excuse for behavior because you may have stayed with your parents until like in his case, he moved away for school. So until like maybe 17 or something like that. But now you're like a 65 year old man. So you've had most of your time away from home, away from your parents, away from all of that. What sort of responsibility are you taking to be a different man, to be someone that facilitates change and facilitates growth within themselves. So he used model behavior as his scapegoat is this is this is what I knew and this is what I learned and therefore this is the family lifestyle that I'm gonna leave as my legacy and and pass on. So that must have been a really hard place for you to grow up in. It was hard because initially I really wanted to be a daddy's girl. You know, I always heard stories where daddies were closest to their daughters. My mom so badly had this illusion of, I want that father-daughter experience because that's also something she never had. You know, my grandfather was an alcoholic, so he was very removed from everything. He wasn't very kind and nice when he was drinking. And when I was born, actually, he stopped drinking and he was a completely different person. He was actually one of my favorite people in the whole world. But during the time that I didn't know him and I didn't exist, you know, he was an alcoholic and he was not a very good father. He was not a very good husband. You know, my mom and my grandfather developed a really great relationship very late in their life because he stopped drinking. My mom always held on to hope. She would always tell me like, you know, because my father was also very physically abusive. Right after I got the crap kicked out of me, you know, she would come into my room and she would tell me, well, he really does love you. Like, this is not an indication of his lack of love. He's just upset. And this is just a bad day and all of that. But, you know, you're coming and saying that to me every single day. And it was so defeating. It was like, I just got beat up all over again, but now emotionally. I think that I had a really poor idea of what love meant. I had a really horrible idea of what a relationship should be like. And when I was growing up in my teenage years, you know, I met somebody that I was with for seven years. He was exactly like my father. And I found somebody that essentially emulated my father. And I remember my parents were all, all like, why are you with him? Like, he's so awful to you. And I'm like, well, it's exactly like you and mom. Like, I don't understand what's going on. 
Like, why would you even say that to me? We're supposed to work through these challenges, right? Like you guys are still together despite all the things you're going through. And yes, like relationships are hard. Those values and those lessons, like relationships are hard and you need to work through challenges. I understood those lessons all the wrong ways. I stayed in a really toxic relationship for, you know, seven years. But then after I got out of that relationship, I met my husband and my husband was just so nice and so kind to me. He listened to me and he cared about me and he valued me. I was so shocked and I didn't realize how much my confidence had really taken a hit until I really met him. I didn't realize how much I had to work on my own self-value until I really met him because he was reassuring me of things. Like I'm smart and I'm beautiful and I'm kind. Like he was reassuring me of things that I felt like I should already know, but I didn't know these things. And I was always talking so negatively to myself. And I always say to parents, like when you speak to each other and when you speak to your kids, you have to remember that you are helping them create their own dialogue right? If somebody who loves you is calling you a bitch and a slut, stupid, and you're worthless and you're dumb and all these words, if someone's calling you all those things, it is the dialogue that you're going to call yourself. So, you know, a lot of what I felt was I'm never good enough. My 100% doesn't really matter. I am always going to have to work hard, but I'm never ever going to get what I want because I'm very undeserving. I was always stuck in this situation where I was always trying. I was trying so hard, trying so hard, trying so hard, but then I wasn't able to get the life I wanted. And at the time too, it was sad because I had a lot of friends who had really good relationships with their dad you know, they would do a lot of like father-daughter dates and go out to movies together and all of that stuff. You know, when I came home, like my dad didn't even care to ask me how my day was. He didn't care about that, let alone like going out and spending actual time together. We couldn't even have normal conversation. So that was really tough. And, you know, but the one thing I did learn from him, because I always believe that no person is all bad, But the one thing I learned from him is he was very career focused. And I think like he was meant to really be a bachelor. Like he was meant to be this amazing career focused person that worked on their career and was extremely successful and made a ton of money. Not a family man. You often find, like I find even when my client's circle, you have the dads that are always like picking up the kids and changing the diapers and blah, blah, blah. And they're not necessarily all that career focused. And their wives are like, okay, like, you know, we have to push you for your career. And then there's the dads that are like just not around and whatever. And it's really about like finding that balance. And I learned how to be very career focused and career driven because of my father. And he influenced me in that way. So that was extremely positive positive because I'm successful now. I have an amazing, very successful firm now because I have a lot of the qualities like, you know, the drive and the ambition and the work ethic that my father had. But it came to a point in my twenties where, you know, after, especially after I had children, I was trying to make things work. And we were getting to a point where, you know, my father was very controlling. My mom never had friends, her whole relationship with him. She would just go to work. She would come home. She never went out ever. She never, like even for Mother's Day, I always had to ask my father if I could take her out. It was never something that was just automatic. Like even to go to the grocery store, he would always tag along with her. She was never ever allowed to do anything on her own. So you take somebody and you isolate them so completely to a point where they are a hundred percent just dependent on you and they're forced in a way to see you as their one and only power while giving up their own power. It sucks. You know, you get to a point where you're trying to work in your relationship because all you have is hope because you don't really realize the outside world and what you could potentially do. And the person you're with has completely beat down your self-esteem. So you don't have any, you don't have any confidence and there's lots of opportunities out there, but you don't know it. You don't know what there is out there and the resources that are available to you to support you. You know, like I remember when I was younger, I used to come home and we used to drink tea together. And she would always say, you know, like, 
when your father dies, you know, as horrible as it sounds, but like when your father dies, like think of all the things that we can do together. You know, we can go on vacation together and we can go on mother-daughter things together. It was so sad because I was like, you're waiting for him to die and he could die very much in his very old age for you to just start living a life of freedom and start living a life that you're proud of and you're passionate about. And that was just so sad to a point where it was pathetic for me, but I'm very much of a fix-it person. So if someone tells me a problem, I want to fix it. Like, I don't want to keep talking about that problem. It, It bothers me to keep talking about the same thing over and over because I don't like that. I'm not like that as a person. But I think like for her, she had no friends. She had no company outside of my father. And, you know, I was her daughter. I was her friend. I was, I wasn't her equal, but she had no other choice. So, you know, she really at the time, like needed somebody to openly talk to and vent to and speak to. I wasn't exactly the appropriate person to be able to do that. But what do you do when you have no choice? She was kind of just speaking from the heart. And it made me feel like me, the fix-it person, I was listening to all of this going, you're definitely going to leave my dad. You know, this day is going to come. And I remember like keeping this bag in my closet with all my favorite things. And because I honestly thought that my mom one day... You know, I would just come home from school and she would say, we're going, we're going. I have no idea where we're going, but we're going to do it and we're going to go. And she never did. But I was sure that she was going to because I was like, your relationship sucks. You're dreaming about leaving. You're talking about leaving. Why wouldn't you? But I think like for her, like she just wanted to vent about it. And that's something when I was like 14, 15, 16, whatever, I didn't understand that or I didn't understand her you know, kind of a person who just wants to talk and they might not necessarily want a solution. They just want to be able to talk to somebody. And I didn't get that at that time. I get that now. You were so young and not in a position to be a true support system for her. Yeah. So when I listened to that, you know, these are the things I thought. And I, you know, my parents had a concrete fire pit um, in their backyard. And I remember before I moved out with my husband, like I took that stupid duffel bag and I, and I burned it and I lit it on fire. It was the bag that we were supposed to leave with. And now I was leaving and she was still staying. That was really interesting and sad all at the same time. And, you know, for me, I'd applied to UTM, like University of Toronto Mississauga, and I applied to Mac and I, I so badly wanted to go to McMaster. You know, that would have been really positive for me mentally, emotionally, with all the abuse, verbal, physical, mental, I felt like I couldn't because what would happen to my mom? What would happen to her if I left? It would just be her and my dad and I didn't trust him. I honestly didn't trust him because I felt like living with him was always like walking on eggshells. Like you could say hi and then things could go south. It's an important thing to bring up mental health because I do think that something is actually wrong with him. I do think he has some sort of like personality disorder or something like that. But is he getting help for it? No. My mom and I went to our doctor and we're like, this is abnormal. Like he's on depression medication and the way he's acting, like he's going to Home Depot and screaming everywhere. He's causing fights with everybody, even in public. Like, you know, his food doesn't come on time. He's throwing a whole scene at the restaurant. Like we can't even take him out anywhere. It's embarrassing being with him. It's toxic for us being in in the house. And my family doctor was like, he has to come and he has to admit that he has a problem. I can't tell him that he has a problem. It was just awful for me because I'm like, you're a doctor. You're supposed to diagnose, freaking diagnose. Can you just say, hey, can we get checked out for this? Or can we explore this? Like, can I send you to a psychologist? Can I offer this to you? Can I just offer this to you? He said, no. He said, your father has to come in and your father has to say, I think I have a problem. I would like to explore that. And my father wasn't doing that. So when my father went to the doctor, he was like, no, I'm fine. Like, I don't know why my wife is having this episode. You know, I'm, I'm perfectly fine. It was defeating. You're trying to really 
find a solution for change. You're trying to be able to explore all your options without having to leave and cut somebody out of your life. But that's just what it came to. So when I, going back to when I said, like I got married and I had kids, I really had to, and I had two boys and they were so little and so happy. And they were just like the happiest little twins in the world. I really had to think about what it meant for me as a mother to raise healthy young men. It was different now. You know, I could walk away. I wasn't little anymore. So he couldn't demand that I stayed in one place or whatever. I wasn't living with him anymore. So he could yell at me or something and I could hang up the phone or I could whatever. But at the same time, like, am I creating an environment where it's unstable for my kids? where, you know, they could go for a play date with their grandfather that could go horribly wrong. What was it going to be like if he had an episode and then he's calling their mom a bitch in front of them? Would they start using those words to me? I had to think about all those things, you know, as a mom. I made the decision at that point to let him go, let him out of my life. And this was this was in 2018, I felt like, you know, it's that feeling where, you know, you've always wanted to do something that you finally now do. You release the obligation of it all. So you release the whole concept and you release the stigma and you you release these ideas where you say, fathers and daughters are meant to be together. Yes, because they are your family, you have to work on your relationship. So you release all of these things. You just release it. You let it go. And you go, regardless of blood or water, is this relationship healthy for me? What am I getting out of this relationship? Is this relation something that's sustainable long-term? Is this relationship positive? Am I growing as a person or is this taking away from me? As soon as I let that relationship go, I felt like, I just took off a backpack of rocks. The sun was shinier. The sky was bluer. Everything felt nicer. Everything felt nicer. And I felt nicer. Like I looked in the mirror and I felt like I didn't see someone so old and so drained. I felt fresher. It was almost like I had a facelift, body lift. There was a certain energy about me. It's not that I didn't feel bad. It's not like I was, hooray, I lost my father. Oh, this asshole, like, you know, I chucked him out of my life. I wasn't happy about it. I was miserable about it. But I knew it was something that I had to do. But it was that point in time in your relationship where you accept the person for who they are. And you really decide if this kind of person is meant to be for you and if you're meant to be for them. And I think like, I wasn't the right daughter for him. He shouldn't have had a child to begin with. But if there was a kid, I wasn't the right kid for him. And he wasn't the right dad for me. So I let him go. And I felt like, you know, after a few months and people always say like, you know, when did you stop feeling like crap? It was hard because there was a sadness to it because I was mourning the loss of that relationship. But at the same time, there was a happiness to it too, because now I had a life. That put a huge strain on my parents' relationship. My father's very much about sides, like your side, my side, loyalty, this, that. He would turn to my mom and he's like, are you actually going to go see her after she treated me like this? Are you actually going to still go visit her and interact with her? Because that's betrayal. It's betrayal to your husband. And your loyalties are to your husband, not to your children. You know, he'd always say to me, like, you don't matter. Like, mom and I are the ones that matter. Whatever happens to you, like, it doesn't really matter. It's like her loyalties are first to me. That's a huge strain on my parents' relationship. And they were fighting about that all the time. And I didn't know this, but they went to therapy. My father would never pay As successful as he was, he would never pay to go to like a psychotherapist or whatever. It was free at work because it's part of your benefits so you can go see a therapist, like a counselor. So he went to this counselor with my mom. And I think like, you know, my father in general, he's very much of a bully. So if he's not getting across to you, what he does is he 
tries to get the neighbors, tries to get your family, tries to get other people to be like, don't you think I'm right about this? Like, let's attack this person together. And there's this thing where he has to be right. It's always like, there's no like difference of opinion, agree to disagree. There's never anything like that. It's I'm right, you're wrong. And let me show you how wrong you are. Let me show you how stupid you are. Let me show you how useless you are for even coming up with this opinion. Let me get everybody together riled up to teach you a lesson because you need to know how crap you are for even thinking this thing that you're coming to me with. So he went to therapy with my mom just to get the therapist on his side, to get the therapist to say that she was going to be loyal to my father, that she was going to let go of me. And my mom was in a really tough situation at that point because it was never something that she wanted. It was hard because her relationship and my relationship, it was very toxic because she was holding on to this dream of this perfect family that we actually weren't. I remember I was on the phone with her and I was at work and she asked me to come to therapy because the counselor asked that I join. I was constantly trying to say like, I don't want any part of this. Like, leave me out of this. I'm trying to set a boundary. I let go of dad. Like anytime you would do something to me, you would always force me to go apologize and make peace because you wanted peace so bad, but the peace you wanted was at the cost of me. Every time, like say, for example, you know, he would do something to me. You wouldn't challenge him because you were scared of him. So you would turn around to me and say, you be the better person if he can't be the better person. But it wasn't up for me to be the better person. Like that wasn't my responsibility. So she called me that day and it was something that I couldn't have imagined saying to her. I was like, I hate him more than I love you. I want him out of my life more than I want you in it. I want him gone so bad and I need for him to be gone so bad that if you must be gone too as part of collateral, then so be it. Because for my whole life, I have spent so much of my time, my energy, just trying to get you to see the right thing. But at the same time, despite the fact that you're a victim of abuse or not, if you can't take that stance for yourself, And if you can't create boundaries for yourself, then that needs to be your responsibility. And I need to be able to step away from that and start living this life that I feel like I deserve because I feel like at this point, 30 years of my life, like I've lost almost three decades of time. You know, she listened to that and we had a chat in person after that. And she really, for the first time, she says, like, even today, you know, when I sat down with you and I talked to you and I heard you, I it's almost like the clouds parted and I heard you. I really heard you for the first time that you were done. So when she would go back and my dad would fight with her, she wouldn't say anything. And he'd be like, go talk to her, go whatever. It's your responsibility to bring us both together. She was like, but she's not coming. She's not. That went on for a little bit. Because like I let him go October, 2018 and my mom left in June of 2019. It was crazy because the thing that actually made her leave, like my dad found this, my kids' birthdays in July and every year because they're twins, we always have joint birthday parties. So I throw them a big one. I gave her an invitation, this cute little invitation that I printed out, you know, for all the guests. And I gave one to my mom to come to the kid's birthday. My dad found that invitation and he was like, am I invited? And she's like, obviously you're not invited. Like you and Nikki like are in such bad terms. Like she's done with you. He's like, well, are you going to go? She's like, of course I'm going to go. Like I'm the one that's invited. And like your relationship has got nothing to do with my relationship with my daughter. Like you've screwed up your relationship with your daughter. And I'm trying to distance myself from that. He was like, no, you're not. You're not going to that birthday and you're never, ever going to see them ever again. This was after I used to invite my mom over on weekends and she used to come over every Saturday. My dad would control her time when she would come over and he allocated time for her to come over, not every Saturday then, but every other Saturday when things went south with us. And he was like, you have to have breakfast at home. You can go 
to see Nikki after breakfast on Saturday. You have to come home before dinner. So it was very much controlled. And then when she would go home, they would fight, obviously, because he spent the whole day seething over the fact that she betrayed him by coming to see me. That was really, really toxic. And when he finally said that, you can't do this. That was pretty much the time where she was like, I think I really need to leave. And previous to that, like two weeks before that happened, like I was telling her, you know, like, you don't need this. You don't have to do this if you don't want to, because she was saying how unhappy she was. And I was like, mom, you can, if you're so unhappy, like you can just leave. And she said, well, where do I go? And I was like, well, obviously you come stay with me, you know, like we can work it out. And at the time I had like a a three bedroom house. You know, it's me and Jeff and the kids have one room and you can take the other room. It's okay. It was crazy because, you know, they were fighting all weekend when he found that invitation. It was a Tuesday. She waited for him to go to work. She cleaned the house. She had food in the fridge. I guess if there's any good way to leave your husband, that's what it is. There's no good way to leave your husband, but... She had to do what made her sleep well at night, I guess. That final, you know, thing that she did for him. Yeah. Yeah. And then she packed her stuff up. But it was really funny. I look back and it's funny, but it's not so funny, funny where, because he's like diabetic. She packed up all the sugar and she left him his stevia. She packed up all the rice because she's like, oh, you're not supposed to be eating rice. When you're leaving him, she was taking care of him. Yeah. It was crazy because she packed up her stuff. She packed up her car and she drove to my house. And I told her, I said, if you ever decide to leave dad, like I will never help you pack. Like I'm not going to help you leave. But if you leave and if you come to my doorstep and if you bring my doorbell, I will be here to take you in and I will take care of everything after that. And that's what she did. I remember we unpacked her car and she was like a zombie. I can't even describe it because like all my life, my mom's been really unhappy And I've seen her be really unhappy. I've seen her drained and just exhausted and trying and miserable. It was crazy because in that moment, I just saw someone I love just break. I don't know if anybody who's listening to this has ever like watched somebody break before their eyes. They're in this state that is so crappy. And for me, like, you know, it was hard because I had to pick up all the pieces. And she didn't even know if she wanted to go back. Like she hadn't really decided if it was permanent. She left in June. So I was like, I'm in finance. So I was very analytical. I was very robotic. I turned back into this person where, you know, I was just like, okay, well, now this catastrophe has happened. This is what you need to do. Checklist. One, two, three, four. Change your bank accounts. Change your driver's license. And I remember that day when she came by, I was like, we're going to have a cup of tea. And then we have lots of things that we need to do. Okay. Get to work. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, she was not even present. She was literally a zombie. She had her tea and she cried a bunch. And then I was like, okay, carry some tissues with you. We're going to go on the road. We created new bank accounts for her. We changed her driver's license. You know, like we did all these different things, you know, for her. And then we came back and I was like, okay, you need to interview lawyers. Do you know how to do that? And she was like, what do you mean? Like it would be dependent on like if a lawyer was willing to take my case. And I was like, no, it's not like that. You interviewed them, like you hired them. You understand what their specialty is. So she didn't really want to entertain that. And I always say that there's a point in everybody's divorce, and I see this with all my clients too, where they realize that the fact that they're getting divorced just slaps them in the face. They turn around and they're like, wow, my marriage is really, really over. It's over. Like it's over, over. It's not just like over potentially, like it's a pencil mark. I can erase it. It's drawn with blood in the sand. Like it's over. For my mom, that was actually hiring counsel. Over the summer, she didn't hire a lawyer. My dad was like, it was crazy because like you just lost your wife. And instead of trying to call her, trying to connect with her, He went around to all the neighbors. He wanted to get in front of the story. He wanted to make sure that everybody knew that 
my mom was the big bad wolf that left a very successful, very providing husband. I think their inner circle really knew that their relationship was tumultuous. But the thing is, we were also immigrants to Canada. So we don't have a ton of family here. The one thing that's amazing about my parents is they're amazing about showing face. You don't really realize, you know, at parties we would go to and my my dad would make snarky comments to my mom. And some people would be like, whoa, you know, like that's whatever. But that's as much as you would see. And my mom would just try to like laugh it off. And she's very quiet anyway. So she wouldn't like really react. But I guess, you know, as you got to know them, you'd see more and more and more of that. And you're like, hmm, I think something's going on like at home. And this relationship isn't all that good. But the general like neighborhood and stuff like that didn't really know this stuff. So it became very much of a, okay, like we need to get to know both sides and what's your side and all that stuff. And my mom being so quiet and so private. And the one thing I also told her too, I was like, other people's opinion of you doesn't define like who you are. Just because someone says that you're a certain thing doesn't mean that you're that thing. What I would prefer is that you just keep your mouth shut in the whole situation, that you not react, you know? And she wasn't going to anyway, but I was like, don't answer anybody's calls. Don't share your side of the story. Like, you know, and the truth will come out where, you know, he will showcase himself for who he is. Just because you've left him now doesn't mean that you can air out the dirty laundry and feed into the he said, she said. Just hold your head up high and let him say whatever he has to say. We're not going to have everybody be like judge, jury, executioner. We're not going to gather up a crowd. We're not going to create this drama and feed into the drama that he's creating because he's trying to bully you into coming back. He's trying to guilt you into coming back. And and why would he not? He chose a wife that essentially who didn't really respect herself enough where he could live his life and do whatever he wanted to do. He could treat her whatever way he could treat her. So Why would he, you know, want to release that? She cooked for him. She cleaned for him. He asked her to do anything. Go get my socks. Go get my computer. Come with me to this party. Don't ask for much. Oh, give me your paycheck. Like everything. Go to work full time. Give me your pay. Don't go out anywhere. Don't have friends. Like don't spend time with your daughter. Like be my servant, my slave. Like why would you want to let go of that? Honestly, if someone's like doing all of that for you you know, the process that summer was really, really tough. Like trying to get my mom to get a lawyer, you know, get counsel. And she didn't actually hire a lawyer until March of the following year. And then once she hired a lawyer, because I forced her to, at that point, I was like, okay, like, you know, before Christmas, we need to do this. Okay. After Christmas, we need to do this. And like, you know, at this point, you know, my dad was like having people call her work and like harass her at her work and people were waiting outside in the parking lot by her car. And like, it was just so intimidating. And then in March, I was like, listen, like I've been letting you do whatever you need to do. And you're being quiet about all of it. You're not doing anything. And she would always say, you know, I just want to run. Like, I just want to run away. I just want to forget everything. I don't care about the 50, 50. I just want to go. And I'm like, you're going to be 60 years old soon. It's not like you're in your 20s where you have your whole working life ahead of you. Like there's money there. You need that money to survive. At the same time, she felt so guilty about being a burden on me. And she wasn't a burden on me. I was totally fine taking care of her, but she had an issue, you know, culturally and just stigma. Like, you know, you're supposed to take care of your kids. Your kids aren't supposed to take care of you. I was fine with it. Like I loved it because for me... I felt like I finally got my mom back. My mom and I could finally have a relationship. My mom and I, even in the first month, had never talked so much and hung out so much and spent time together. And just going like out to the grocery store, out to buy sheets or doing errands or whatever. We never really done so much of that. Doing all the things that you said, like when your dad dies, we'll go and do chores was exciting for her to do with you. Yeah, it was was really nice to be able to be free. So in March, I remember I interviewed lawyers for her. I, I picked a lawyer that I liked. She went to see him, obviously. She had no opinions. She had no opinions about anything. You know, she was just like a zombie. You know, I remember I was like, I'm forcing you to retain Chris. I emailed him and I was like, Chris, you need to send us the retainer agreement. He sent us the retainer agreement. I printed it out. I went through it with her line by line. Do you get this? Do you get this? And she would just stare at me. And I was like, okay, next. Do you get this? Do you get this? Do you get this? Do you get this? 
okay, sign here. You're going to sign here. You're going to start taking your freedom back. Like you're going to start this process. You're going to, I'm forcing you to. You know, she signed that piece of paper and I was like, now go scan it. You're going to send it. I think in that moment, she hated me. She hated me for doing that to her. But when Chris got involved, he's amazing. And things started to get resolved. You know, we started to sell their investment properties. We sold their matrimonial home. We worked through the disclosure process. We have to do a financial disclosure. And the disclosure process was so painful for her because it was like asking her, like, what was the mortgage for this? What was the rental income? She didn't know anything because my father just kept everything away from her. It was crazy. That part was very painful for her because she's more of an emotional person. She's not analytical. For me, I felt like it was a little Sherlock Holmes because I had to go digging for all this information. And I don't remember because there was that formality a little bit, you know, with my parents and I, like I was the kid. It doesn't matter if like they were 90, I was 60. It didn't matter, but I was always going to be the kid. What they make and whatever is going to be none of my business. So I remember sitting down with her, just going, okay, we need your T1s, your notice of assessments, your, you know, credit cards, your this, your that, your that. She was like, oh, and I was like, so how much did you make in like, you know, 2018, 2000, whatever, you know, because you're going through all the incomes for like three, four years. And she's like, well, I'm not going to tell you that. And I'm like, (laughs) mom, like, I need you to put aside the fact that I'm your daughter for now. And I'm I'm in a business where I help other people do this. I'm trying to help you do this. Like, you know, I'm trying to make this easier for you. But that's also something. And then she told me and I was like, are you sure? Like, that's what it is. Because I remember like in the past, like, you know, she would be very evasive about what they made. I always had a general idea of what my parents made, but never like a firm idea based on conversation. You piece things together. But it was really embarrassing for her to be able to tell me like what she made, but she was sort of at my mercy because she didn't know how to do any of this stuff herself. And it was so overwhelming. You know, we, we did it together. I forced her to go to therapy. I was like, you have to go to therapy because I cannot be your therapist. This is also taking a huge toll on me. And my dad, as a person, he's very big and loud and obnoxious and critical it's kind of like you really feel his presence, even though he's not in the room. So he came after me, really, you know, and there was a point where I thought he was going to sue me at one point because he like threatened to sue me. And it was really bad because, you know, it was sad. I was nervous. I was scared. I let him go in 2018 and I started feeling so good. I started feeling so free. My husband and I like made a pact, you know, my husband sat down with me after I let go of my dad and he was like, we don't even have to talk about him. We can live this life where we don't even say his name and speak about him. And I was like, that would be lovely. Then when my mom left, it was like she had so much to release and we were having the same conversations over and over and over. And it was back to those miserable conversations over and over and over and over. And she would be like, you know, Remember this time when he was so abusive and this, 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 and this. And she was like, yeah, but, you know, I hope he's watching his cholesterol because he's not supposed to be eating this. And like, do you think that I should send him food? And I'm like, no, no. Like, he's a grown ass person. Like, he can take care of himself. Like, you need to focus on taking care of yourself. You're a mess. You're a wreck. It's hard for you to wake up and go to bed. But at the same time, you're thinking about cooking food for somebody who has treated you so badly and completely isolated you and has abused you. You know, I can't believe that you're doing this. And it was so irritating for me, to be honest, you know, listening to that day and day. And it, it took a toll on me because all of a sudden it was like I was healing from this wound and I was kind of healed. And then the wound was just like ripped open again. So for me, it was really hard. And because like, I didn't mind taking the lead on it, but at the same time, that divorce became my divorce. And even though she signed the retainer and everything like that, I was on every meeting with our lawyer and I talked to our lawyer and till today, she's never spoken to her lawyer once in her whole divorce. So it's always been me. Like, you know, he would be like, I need this document or like, I was like, no problem. Okay. Uh, provide me an update on this and that and that. 
she never spoke to her lawyer one time. It was crazy because she felt like she was like, if I just leave it and if I don't do anything, time will make me feel better. But it was actually she started to feel better when she hired her lawyer and started to move. Different chapters started to close, like the property part was done and like the negotiation was done. Then the separation agreement was drawn up. And, you know, so from March to, I think it was like Jan or Feb of the following year, like everything was essentially done. And then she filed for divorce. And now we're just like waiting because the courts take a really long time. But she was in so much of a better place. And she was like, she was saying, you know, it's time. But I was like, no, it's not just time. It's because we started moving, closing and and kind of taking care of these challenges. And as we took care of these challenges, you didn't have questions anymore. It was done for you. You could go on and live your life. You now had like a sum of money in your bank. Like, obviously I was fine giving your money, but like this way, it's nice when you feel independent on your own right? And you're not having to ask your daughter for money or whatever the case is. And closure comes with time, but closure also comes with action. Yeah. Also too, at the time in March, a lot of things happened in March because she hired counsel in March. She started going to therapy in March. And then I hired her to work at the firm in March. At the time, you know, when I hired her, I I was looking around for an assistant and I was like, oh, Like you're getting harassed at work. Like you're so miserable. Why don't you just come work for me? Like instead of being someone else's executive admin, you can be mine. I think too, like, you know, helping other people going through their divorce and supporting them. She got to talk to a lot of these people and it was really cathartic for her to have other people to kind of share with and just do work that resonated with her too. Because now like she was helping me on different people's, like she didn't want to have to deal with her case, but she was helping me do paperwork for other people on their cases, reading communication back and forth. Like it made her realize, you know, how horrible people can be and how petty. And I think that was important for her because in her mind, even though like, obviously she never said it out loud, but in her mind, she felt like everybody else's relationship was perfect. And she was very alone in the relationship that she had and very alone in feeling all the things that she was feeling. It was so nice for her to be able to see other people going through the same situation. And she felt less alone, less crappy about herself. I always say, you know, to people, I was like, in life, you meet somebody and you could have like a beautiful lunch with them and they could just make such an impact on you. Or you could have a friendship for a couple of years and they might move, you never see them again, or you might fall out for some reason, or you may have a relationship for a few years. But at the same time, everybody comes into your life and leaves as part of chapters. But the thing about marriage is that When you sign that contract, you're essentially forcing the chapters to go on and on and on. So you're not letting it organically happen. You're not letting it organically flow. You're just essentially forcing the chapter to last forever. No one would like bat an eye if you left a boyfriend, but people would put all the stigma on you if you left a husband. But at the same time, a toxic relationship is a toxic relationship. I hope like, you know, with the work I do too, like my goal is to kind of educate people on what the right steps are. Having my mom be in the situation that she was in, I I learned that there was so much need in this area because people didn't know how to interview lawyers. People didn't understand how mental health support was so incredibly important. People didn't understand how their finances flowed, how to work cash flow, how to work budget. And I realized that having a system and starting a firm that promoted that system, that holistic way of getting divorced, that mindful divorce was so incredibly important. But now we work on clients like case studies. So we have feedback from our legal teams, uh, mental health teams, our real estate teams and all of that. And we're all talking to each other because this way, say, for example, a realtor is not going around showing you houses that you can't afford to buy, you know, that are maybe too far away from your kids. You know, that's that's not okay. But if sometimes from a client perspective, they're going through so much and what they think they might be able to afford is not necessarily what they're actually going to be able to afford. 
And sometimes when you go to the bank and they tell you, oh, you can afford this on paper, say if they're in their mid forties and their goal is to retire by say like 60 or 65, they can't exactly max out, get the max mortgage that they have. They're going to be paying their mortgage for the rest of their lives, right? So despite the fact that the bank might say something, it's not necessarily feasible to be able to do that if you want to live a certain life. After all, you know, you're taking two incomes. So the lifestyle that paid for two incomes, like that was funded by two incomes, you're taking that and, and making that one income. Divorce really sets you back 20 years. You may be living in a penthouse or a beautiful space. You know, a lot of my clients are from Oakville. So they live in beautiful, massive houses. And then all of a sudden they're they're moving to apartments and they're like, I lived here when I was like, just out of, you know, university. And this was like my, I moved back to a space where it was like, this is where I was back in university. And there's a cost to freedom. When you get divorced, you, you choose freedom, but you choose to pay for freedom. You choose freedom over a toxic marriage. And that's what you do. So that's, you know, my very long-winded story about really how I chose my mom over my dad. And, you know, every choice you make in life comes with consequences. And it's really about whether you're able to deal with those consequences or you're not. Well, Nikki, thank you so much for sharing so openly about a topic that is still a little bit on the taboo side, right? Talking about divorce, talking about money, talking about emotions and feelings and relationships, um, especially as it relates to parents and daughters and children, you know, your story definitely hit a lot of buttons and I'm sure it's going to resonate for a lot of people as they're thinking about their own parents' divorces and how, you know, they handle it and manage through it. But also like if they're going through a divorce and they have kids, like how, how is this going to roll out and impact their families? So thank you so much. So For you, it was probably a really simple choice of picking your mom's side over your dad's just based on your whole childhood upbringing and and life. For those who are witnessing their parents get divorced right now, and it might not be so night and day clear, what guidance or what suggestions would you have for somebody in helping them navigate the new relationships that they're going to have with their parents? It's complicated. Like, first of all, you know, like even if you're an adult, my parents got divorced as an adult, while I was an adult. When you're going through a divorce, it's two people that got married together and then now they're choosing to get divorced. So when they have children, their children, the big issue with children is that they're facing all of the consequences while not having any of the control. Say, for example, they might have to move and they might not be able to see their friends or their parents are fighting all the time and the home's really chaotic or disruptive or all of a sudden they were going to swimming or, you know, jujitsu or whatever, you know, and now they can't do those activities or whatever that is. And they're just sad because, you know, everybody wants to be very idealistic. They want their parents to be together. They want to have like that one happy family. And I always say, you know, if you are in a situation where you are in a toxic marriage, Definitely consider your children first because the way that you connect with each other shows them how to love. It shows them how to treat themselves, how to treat other people. It definitely has an impact on them. So you have to be really mindful of that, even though you're going through this trauma and while you're trying to make this decision to be able to say, should I be with someone? Should I not be with someone? You have to evaluate how the quality of your relationship is really affecting your children because children do as you do, not as you say. You know, even I was mentioning before where, you know, my parents were like telling me why I was letting my ex-boyfriend treat me in a certain way. Well, I learned that from them. So I became my mother and I chose somebody that was my dad. From that aspect, you know, that's thought. But also too, if you're in a situation where you're getting a divorce and I have a lot of clients like this where... Your divorce and the nitty gritties, the nitty gritties of your divorce are not to be discussed with your kids. It's none of their business to know, oh, here's a nasty letter that mom sent me through her lawyer. You believe it or not, parents actually do this because when they can't get to the other side and they can't make their point, They try to get their kids to make a point sometimes. And I see this all the time because at the end of the day, they both love their children. 
to a certain extent. Sometimes it's love with a small L. Sometimes it's love with a big L. But regardless of the quality of love, sometimes they're so focused on making a point that they don't see how their interactions can be really unhealthy. And as it is when you're a kid, regardless of what age you are, if you're little, you don't really know what's going on. So you you feel a lot of really negative energy while not understanding the politics of an unhealthy marriage. When you become older, you start to piece things together, but then you don't ever have the full story. So it's always like the he said, she said that you might hear but it's never the whole story and what things actually really are. And then you kind of fill in the blanks with all these things that might or might not be right. And then when you're older like me, you know, you might see things for what they truly are, but at the same time, it's not your relationship. So, and it's two people that really had to make a decision. There were so many times where I was trying to tell my mom, like, you need to act on this faster. You need to move on this, whatever. But she had to turn around and make that decision to say yes or no, you know? And there was only so much handholding I, I could do, even though I did the max that anybody could potentially do. But she had to make all those crappy decisions for herself. So, you know, from a child perspective, keep your kids out of it as much as possible. Don't talk to them like they're your friends. Get friends to talk to as equals. Don't share stuff with your children. Like no matter like how old they are, even if they're adults, like that's not their place to be able to know. Understand that if this is something you guys are going to do together, have a sit down conversation about how you're going to address the children. You know, how you guys are going to make sure that unless you are like ultra, ultra, ultra wealthy, their lifestyle is going to change. They're not going to be able to pay for university anymore because now your retirement fund is cut in half or whatever the case is, right? But you need to prepare them to be able to step up on their own two feet in a way that's supportive because no matter what happens, you might not be someone's husband anymore, but you'll always be a mom and a dad until the day you die. You need to remember that. And I always tell that to my husband too, because like, you know, at home, I guess we have divorce jokes and we joke around about divorce. It's not actually appropriate jokes to have, but you know, like in our family, like this is our world, right? You know, we always say, you know, like our kids, they didn't choose this life. We brought them into this life. So we need to realize what a responsibility that is if we disengage from responsibilities to each other. That's what I have to say from like, you know, a kid perspective. But if you are a kid and if your parents are going through a divorce, like, it's hard. It's tough. And especially if you're, especially in that teenage years and that teenage stage, you're going to be in a situation where you're going to take this divorce, I guess, more selfishly. You don't have the capacity to understand the big picture of it, that these two lives are now like falling apart. It's very much going to be, oh my gosh, are we moving? I'm not going to get to see my friends. Like, oh my God, are you going to make me move schools? And like, I'm going to be going to grade 12 next year or something like that. Or there's going to be things like that where you're going to look at life more selfishly. And I guess that's okay. That's a stage, you know, that's the stage that you're in. For parents, you have to understand that, you know, kids have a certain maturity level for a reason. They're supposed to focus on their own lives. They're not supposed to focus on understanding the big picture of your life. And that's why we have like in divorce, there's, you know, the child support and then the section seven expenses. And, you know, there's a lot of priority on making sure that the children are taken care of from like toothpaste to medical expenses to whatever, you know, um, because of that reason, because your lack of compatibility isn't their fault. All right. So if there is somebody out there who is, you know, thinking about getting divorced, about to go through the process and is looking for support and they want to have a conversation with you, where can people find you? Where where are you hanging out these days, Nikki? <laughs> Mostly at home these days, but, you know, I'm either in my Oakville office or my Niagara office or my Mississauga office or whatever, you know, one of the three offices. But you can always, you know, reach out to me on Facebook. You can always reach out to me by email. You can give me, you know, you can give me a call, right? Like that's really, send me a text, you know. That's really like the best way to reach out to me. I love it when people call me, say hi. Like I always tell people, be the CEO of your own divorce. Like if this was, and I worked corporate for so long, helping business owners thrive and work through their stuff. And 
If I had to give one last message to people, I would say divorce really is a business in this country. You know, everybody has their hands in your pocket and you have to be the CEO of your own divorce. You have to pick your team in the right way. You have to pick, say, for example, your lawyer, you know, your mental health professional, you you have to pick all these people, pretend that they're your employees. They work for you. They have to educate you. They have to make sure that your final big picture, your interests are aligned. And if they're not doing a good job, get rid of them, interview them properly, take that extra step to make sure that your team is right. Because if someone isn't doing their job, it could be financially so detrimental for you. Make sure you understand what you want and you create a priorities list and you're handing that priorities list out to people, people that are supposed to be supporting you. Awesome advice. That's that's actually a very, very good direction of treating any, you know, big life decision, especially divorce, yeah. kind of like how a business would operate and you being in the, in the driver's seat and control. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Nikki, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so glad we finally connected so that you could share the story and and inspire a few people to think about what's going on in their lives or their divorce or their parents' divorce or whatever it might be. And I look forward to seeing you soon. And uh, I'm sure you have more stories that you can come on to share. So we will figure out what the back end of the season looks like and then maybe have you come back and share another story because your life has been full of things. Yes. And uh, so grateful for you. Thank you. It was great being on the show. Thanks, Jess. I hope you have a great day. I hope everyone has a fabulous day. Hey, that's it from us. We will talk to you real soon. Um, And if you want to find Nikki, uh, all of her information is in the show notes. Um, And if you are going through something like this, reach out. Or if you know somebody else who's going through a really rough divorce right now, and this story might help them put a little perspective on the story and give them a little bit of direction and help them figure out now what, share this episode with them. All right, that's it. Have a good day. Bye, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it more than I can say. Did you love this episode of I Just Blank, Now What? If you did, be sure to subscribe on your fave podcast platform. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. I do love reading them. And if you know somebody who's experiencing this story or something similar, please share this episode with them. It just might help them figure out the answers to their own Now What questions. Have you recently had a now what moment and aren't sure what to do? Reach out to me at jessicastevens.ca and submit your story and I'll help you figure out what to do, how to move forward and help you answer now what. See you on the next episode.